She's an angel. She looks. She reminds me of what I think an angel should look like. But then again, I'm biased. <laughs> I'll start with her eyebrows. She's got perfectly shaped eyebrows, the way you'd, what you'd pay for if you went into beautician. And she's got um, the most gorgeous corn blue eyes, <laughs> cornflower blue eyes, and very long eyelashes, and a cute button nose with a few little freckles on top. The icing on the cake. And two <laughs> big dimples in either cheek. And a perfectly formed little mouth. And a chin that's sore at the moment from spitting. <laughs> says she. She's got long hair that curls because her mummy puts curlers in her hair at night time. <laughs> but it's very thick. And it's got all sun streaks in there from having lived in California for most of her life. But I think they're there to stay. My name is Anne-Marie. I've got two girls. Kathy is 10 and Charlotte is four. Kathy is um, a very intelligent 10-year-old, uh, sometimes a bit too advanced for her age, I think. But um, very well adjusted, I think, uh, happy 10-year-old. Charlotte was born with Rett syndrome. Rett syndrome is a neurological disorder, which to date has only occurred in girls. Um, the onset is usually between 12 and 18 months of age. Charlotte was 18 months. Um, the girls are born perfect, there's no problem. And after the onset of the disorder, they go through a period of regression and they lose all purposeful hand movement and become very antisocial and um, develop various different problems. Um, scoliosis being one problem, curvature of the spine. Um, various problems with con constipation, reflux, grinding of the teeth, hand wringing. Um, those are typical characteristics of a Rett's child. Charlotte's still in nappies. Um, I've been trying to toilet train her now since she's been a bit younger than two. Um, no, a little after two. She's a little older than two. 
But every time she gets sick, she regresses. And the progress we've made, she seems to go backwards. It's not the case of all the other kids, but with Charlotte, it seems to be the case. Um, but she's doing a lot better. And uh, we're happy for the moment. It would be great for her, though, if she didn't have to wear nappies anymore. Ready for school then, Charlotte? Back to school this morning? Yeah. She said, I'm too interested in my food right now. You finished? Have you enough? Have you enough? You ready, Kathy? Your lunch is in the hall. Goodbye to Kathy, Charlotte. It's nearly finished, Charlotte. Bye. Bye. Look, Charlotte, it's empty. She said, I don't want to know. You full? The girls and I moved back to Ireland in May of 96. And um, we moved back to Waterford. Um, at the moment, I'm living with my parents and the girls uh, while we wait for a bungalow that's being fixed up at the moment. Um, I need a bungalow for Charlotte. She's too heavy to be carrying up and down stairs all the time. And I had a bungalow in America. And I find it really hard here with the stairs and getting in and out. So we hope to move in and have our own home again, thankfully, in the next couple of weeks. I was nervous about the school system. I wasn't sure if Charlotte would have her needs catered for as much as she did in America. I was very nervous about that. Um, so I went up to the local, one of the local schools that I thought was probably the one that Charlotte would be going to. And I was pleasantly stunned at the amount of services that they offered. And when you walk in the front door of the school, the love in the school just hits you. And um, they give a brilliant service. And it's better than anything I've seen in America. And Charlotte's been to three schools, three different schools in America. And it's better than any of those. This, the middle seat in the van I had adapted 
um, so it'll come out to the side of the, the car and it just makes it easier for taking Charlotte in and out of her car seat. It's a specially adapted car seat as well that I got in the state. Um, it has special padding on there to protect her when she's sitting there because she doesn't always hold her body up straight. It just makes it easier for transporting her in and out. straps on this there's no way she's going to go anywhere that's the harness going on right there the school is usually locked so that none of the children can get out in case they try and, and leave the school without some company so we have to ring on the doorbell and wait for somebody to answer Locked. Charlotte's getting excited. Hello. Morning. Hello, Charlotte. Hello. Thanks. Charlotte's classroom. She's only supposed to have it for five days, yeah. and it's almost gone. It's really just scarring that's left, so it's hard to finish her with it. <coughs> There's no more problems with her BO or anything? No, 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 no more everything was fine. Again. Why is it It might have been just that, yeah. yeah. She, uh, she was good over the weekend, though. She had a good night's sleep last night. Well, I've got the cornflower for you, and we have jelly today, and we're going to have great fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have jelly. And a jelly face. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like that? She ate well this morning. So she, ate, she even slept on this morning. Uh, oh, did she? About 7.30. Yeah. She was a good lion. <laughs> yeah. Why did she wake up every... She was waking at 6 and quarter to 6 half. last week. Oh. Turn out her mammy, weren't you? <laughs> Into them, yeah, especially you know when she's throwing up, make sure and put it up because that way keeps it out of the way. Charlotte, say goodbye to mummy. Bye, chicken. Bye. See you later. <laughs> See you later.
you later, he said. See you later. She's covered in lipstick. <laughs> she was about 10 months and we were in the States at this time. We moved to the States. And we started to notice that she wasn't really coming on as much as she should have been. Communications-wise, she didn't make eye contact with us. Uh, she had done previously. But at this time, she was losing that. And um, she wasn't as mobile as she had been. Uh, she had been crawling and... Well, not crawling, but she had been moving about a bit. But she had gotten to be a very heavy baby at that time. She was actually fat. You would have called her a fat baby. And we thought at the time that... Um, well, personally, I thought maybe she was deaf. Um, I was hoping that that's what it was and that they could cure it and she could have an operation and everything would be fine. So um, she seemed to develop okay. Um, she started to lose some weight. She started to become a bit more mobile. She was crawling and she was cruising around the furniture. And she just wasn't there socially, really. And at 18 months of age, we took her to a doctor who told us that she was definitely developmentally delayed and um, we needed to take her to some specialists to have her diagnosed properly. Um, so then we took her to the specialists. And at the time, when she reached 18 months of age, she became a different child. She would scream from morning till evening, actually throughout the night as well. Um, she'd sleep maybe 10 minutes at a time. She became very self-abusive. Uh, she would bite actually through her skin until she'd draw blood. She'd bang her head, you know, from walls and doors and whatever she could find her. She'd, um, she'd scream and you'd know she was actually in pain. It was actually, you know, it would go through you. It wasn't just a whinge or a cry, it was a scream. And we took her to Stanford University, to the children's clinic up there. Um, and there was a professor up there who studied her for two days. And it was uh, thought maybe that it was autism because of the self-abuse. But having studied, studied her for the two days... Um, the professor decided that no, she definitely wasn't autistic. Uh, and she didn't want to label her at that time. She just told me, yes, it was developmental delay. I had heard a whisper in the children's clinic that it might be Rett syndrome. But the professor there had asked me not to look it up. At that time, they had thought that the lifespan was very short. Because of the regression in Rett syndrome, at the time, you know, there was a whisper that the children lived till maybe 10. So that's why the professor in Stanford, she wasn't very well up on it at the time, and she didn't really want me looking it up. But naturally, being a mother, you do. Um, it was pretty apparent to me when I started to read some case studies of other children. I did know at that time that she had Rett syndrome. And it was very frightening and scary, but... In the back of my mind, I kept saying, well, when somebody with more experience sees her, they'll tell me this is not true. And I lived with that thought in my mind. But 
really, I guess I knew from the first case study I read that Charlotte was Rett syndrome. She was diagnosed on April 28th of 94. And um, it was still a shock, you know, um, I knew. And the neurologist said to me, and we sit down. <laughs> and I did, because I'd been pacing around the room waiting for his diagnosis on it. And he said, um, Charlotte has Rett syndrome. I said, OK, thank you. <laughs> Fine. And I left. And it was, it was good in a lot of ways, because when you do have a diagnosis, at least you can start again and say, OK, what does she need from now on? Because before the diagnosis, there are so many therapies out there and you don't know what's right or wrong for your child. You don't know which syndrome needs which therapy or which is not right for whatever syndrome the child might have. So at least when the diagnosis is there, you can follow the path that's written down for you and you know what road you're supposed to be taking. And at least then you can feel that you're doing the right thing. You're not always wondering, am I making a mistake here? So during that six or seven months um, while we were waiting, and while Charlotte was going through the onset of the syndrome, she was really, really sick. And she would spend her days screaming and being self-abusive. Uh, she would bite through her skin until she'd bleed and scream and scream. And uh, she'd, you know, whack her head from off walls and windows and... The only way to calm her down would be to put her into a bath or turn on videotapes of Barney or the Disney movies. Things like that would help calm her. Um, but she would be very, very upset and didn't sleep very much at all. Ten minutes at a time would be max. Um, during this time, there was a lot of very bad screaming where you'd know she was in pain. There was definitely pain there. And the paediatrician at the time, I'd call him and he'd hear her on the phone and he'd say to me, I'll meet you in an emergency. And we'd go through all the x-rays, you know, upper GIs, lower GIs, just checking for everything. They thought she had um, a telescoping intestine. And in the end, they couldn't put a finger on anything. So they told us that she had a rare form of malnutrition and that she was dying and there was nothing we could do about it. At this stage, she couldn't eat. There was like a period of four weeks, I think, where not even a teaspoon of water could pass her lips or her face would break out in this rash. This is not the case for all the children. They all have different types of sickness on the onset, but this was Charlotte's. And um, we took her home and she had been a pretty big baby um, before the onset. You know, she was pretty heavy. But luckily enough, she had all that weight to lose. And she went to nothing. She was just skin and bone lying in the bed and she hadn't the energy to do anything but cry at that time. And then it just seemed like overnight she came out of it. But the regression had occurred and she had lost all her abilities and we were left with a child that was almost two and a half at this time. But yet she had the abilities of an infant of four or five months. 
describe what you're doing now, but would you mind? No, we're going to rock first. Um, we have different sounds. You can hear the music playing and they will rock to that and then they will rub their hands and we're going to rock. Now we're going to rock together and we have a mirror so she can see herself as she's rocking. Girl, rock and rock and rock and rock and rock. This is to make them aware of their body, their body awareness kind of rocking movements. Good girl, Anne Marie, or Charlotte. Good girl. And rock. And rock. the Charlotte was very sick I had a brother that was living quite near to me and um, that was great um, it was great to have him there and have a shoulder to lean on but in a way I was thankful that my family weren't around because I found it so hard to cope with with what was happening to Charlotte and to my family at the time that I don't think I would have been able to cope with everybody else wanting to know what was happening and wanting to help because you need to deal with things as they come and if everybody's giving you advice and telling you the best way out of it you're going to be listening to so many people that you know it would be too hard to um to cope with that as well as the syndrome and everything that was happening but as time went on and you know we started to get charlotte sorted and she started to sleep and have some kind of a normal routine in her day. Then I missed the family support that you can't just say, call your mom and say, can you take her for an hour so that I can do this or that? You can't do that in the States when you don't have family around you. Um, there were some friends, but everybody have their own lives too. And you don't like to put in on other people when they're not your family. So it's good to be home in that respect. Very good to be home. <laughs> Charlotte is a very hard child not to love, <laughs> no matter how hard you try. Um, I do wish that I didn't love her as much as I do for defence reasons. But it's, you can't control that. It's not something that you can switch on and off as much as you feel sometimes you'd like to for fear of the future. But I'm confident that the future is good. Um, a lot of the children die young due to aspiration pneumonia mainly and um, unknown reasons. Um, they seem to die for simple causes but a lot of them don't and I'm confident that if I do my best for Charlotte every day that it will work and she'll be there and I'll be there for her.
and I live by that. I'm not going to think that I'm not going to have her tomorrow because I don't want to be like that. I want to have her and know that I'm going to have her. You live on a kind of day-to-day thing. I live like that, but I don't count it as, you know, I have her today because I might not have her tomorrow. I consider myself as I'm going to have her for the rest of my life or her life, however long that may be. And I don't want to put a time span on that. A lot of the children die young. But, um, I mean, a lot of people die young. It's not only Red Syndrome children. And they didn't harp on it. They just mentioned the fact that these things happen sometimes and we need to be ready for them. If it happens, it happens. But it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> for a long time, I thought of the possibility of Charlotte being cured. Um, I went to homeopaths, chiropractors, everybody in the book that you can think of, um, different religious freaks <laughs> that were going around curing everybody. And, you know, I tried everything and nothing seemed to work. And then I decided that if this is the way she's going to be, I have to accept that. And when I did accept that, I found myself not praying for her to be cured anymore. I pray for her not to be in pain, not to be sick. But I couldn't love her anymore if she were any different. And this way she doesn't have the worry of the world, the world that any other person would have. And sometimes I feel guilty because I don't want her cured. So it's kind of a constant turmoil. In a way, I'd love her to be perfect. But in another way, she is perfect. And if she just didn't have the pain and suffering that she does have from time to time, I wouldn't even question it. I couldn't love her any different if she was different. Um, I've questioned a lot in the reasoning behind Charlotte being the way she is. Um, I have a brother who's a priest and I've, you know, said to him, so many people are cured for different reasons and, you know, cured from major illnesses. And I said to him, we've prayed so hard for Charlotte to be well. And nothing has ever happened. And what did she ever do to deserve this? And he just said, you know, well, maybe she's not supposed to be cured. But I, I find it hard to accept the fact that she was made the way she was. And she can't pray hard enough. Her faith can't save her because she can't, you know, she can't pray hard to be cured. And I think that's so unfair that people that go to Mass and go to Lourdes and do this and do that, and they can be cured... And just because she can't do it for herself, I find that really unfair. And I know it's silly, you know, a silly way to look at things. But, yeah, I, I have a lot of conflict. I'm religious in my own way, but there's a lot of hurt there, you know. Um, I was very guilty for a long time. Um, I gave birth to a child and... I didn't 
do it perfectly like other women do and um, I thought it was my fault and then I had prayed so hard for a child different to Kathy. Kathy was a hyper child these children who used to sleep three or four hours a night until she was almost four and very talkative, very intelligent she was very advanced and during the pregnancy I thought to myself if I'm this sick during the pregnancy and I have another child like Kathy, I'll end up in an institution and I prayed so hard for a child the complete opposite of Kathy. and then of course I had a child the complete opposite of Kathy. and I felt so guilty for all the prayers that had been answered and I felt you know if I hadn't prayed so hard maybe I wouldn't have been given a child like this and then I thought well I'm blessed to have a child like this um, I feel honoured to have a child like Charlotte and um, I wouldn't like it any other way so the guilt feelings have gone anger is there from time to time for different reasons um, but I'm extremely proud of her and um, that takes over everything your love for her and how proud you could be of her when she gives that great big smile up to somebody when you say hi and that's really good naturally you're proud of all your children it's not just Charlotte I'm very proud of Kathy too and the way she handles um, her life the way her life has been dealt to her um, she has been taken out of her secure family home at six and brought to the States thrown into a whole new environment a new culture and then was given a sister that was different and then she was brought out of that environment in the States that she was so used to and brought back to Ireland which was now a completely different culture to her she didn't remember most people most things and she's dealt with them really well and it just makes me proud of my two girls and when you're proud it's stronger than the other emotions and that's what's important that it's a positive emotion you're feeling We're just giving her face a good wash to get all the beans off. <laughs> Aren't we, Charlotte? She always makes a face when she hears the tap going. She always makes a face ready for the face cloth to hit her face. But she loves it. Don't you miss? Yeah. See ya. See ya. There have been many sleepless nights. Um, on the initial onset of the syndrome Charlotte didn't sleep for seven months apart from ten minutes here and ten minutes there um, thankfully we had Barney <laughs> and we used to tape the Barney shows on three hour tapes and that would give us approximately three hours of half sleeping and half being awake to make sure she's okay and that went on for seven months and then she would sleep for a couple of hours at a time 
at night. <coughs> and that went on for another year or two, closer to two, when I found um, the neurologist in Sacramento who prescribed melatonin for Charlotte. The one thing that is a worry with <coughs> melatonin is that um, it may cause infertility. Uh, that's why I don't mind giving it to Charlotte. If that's the only problem with it, that would be a blessing for me, for Charlotte to be infertile. Um, there's one Rhett's lady who was raped and she had a Rhett's baby. So the chances <coughs> of Charlotte ever having a baby, hopefully, are very, very, very slim. For any reason. Mm. When she's sick, she finds it hard to sleep at night. Um, I mean, if the reflux <coughs> is playing up on her. Um, reflux is a reaction from the gullet. Um, when food hits the gullet, it comes back up through the esophagus and, and out and it doesn't benefit her. It's similar uh, in feeling for her to somebody with a hiatus hernia. You know, it's, it's all got to do with the esophagus. So the nights generally are Charlotte's worst time for her. It's the worst time um, for everything. When she lies down, um, her feet get colder. The, hernia, the reflux plays up. Um, and the grinding starts because she hasn't got as much stimulation as she would have during the day or things happening around her. But um, with the melatonin, she's sleeping really well most of the time. You ready for bed? Yeah. Charlotte talks to you through her face. You know, everything she wants to say is said through facial expressions. You pretty much know what she's thinking, you know, and what she's trying to say to you. Um, one neurologist in Sacramento asked me, how did I communicate with her? And I said, you know, I felt there was almost a telepathy there expecting him to laugh, you know, because usually they do when you say things like that, that they can't explain. Um, but he actually said to me that all the mothers have said the same thing and that he <coughs> believes it because he's seen it himself, that when you get to know a child, it's like any mother with any baby, new baby, you get to know their needs and their wants. But the facial expression is so vivid that... Um, she definitely talks to you through her face. And that's a happy expression. <laughs> Some people look at me when she does a raspberry in their face and I say, you should be honoured. That's, that's a happy event. And then they accept it. The bond I have with Charlotte is different to the bond with Cathy, who's 10. Um, it seems that... I don't know if it's because... Kathy is older, and as kids get older, uh, the bond isn't as strong, or you're not as intuitive as you are when they're little, because Kathy's becoming more of her own person. Um, or if it's just that it's different with Charlotte. It's not that I love any of them more than the other. Um, it's just that maybe it's because I know Charlotte needs me a lot more than Kathy needs me. Um, that you're far more tuned into that. Um, 
But it's very similar to the bond you have with a new baby. But it's just a lot stronger. It's frightening at times because you feel, I feel, if anything were to happen to her, that we're so much in tune with each other. I don't know how I'd cope with her. People say, how long has she, some people say, you know, and what's the lifespan or whatever. Trying to ask me in a nice way, has she long left, you know? Um, and I often think about mm. that and, and wonder what I would do with myself if I didn't have her anymore. Um, I think Charlotte is a positive experience in anybody's life. Uh, she makes you really aware of the good things that are around you and how much you have and how much you should develop the talents that God has given you and not leave them sit because if she were able to do more, she would. And I can see what she does remedy without being able to do very much physically. Um. Mm. You tired? She's getting lazy now. You want to cuddle? Charlotte generally doesn't have much speech, but she has been known on occasion to have a few words. Um, when she's frustrated, she calls mom. Uh, sometimes distinctively, other times a bit more vague. And she says things like yes or no. Um, on one occasion when she was almost three, we were living in Mountain View in California and her, we were in her sister's bedroom. And we heard the front door open and it was a very distinctive three taps on the door and the door opens and we knew, Kathy and I both knew that it was my he brother. had a key to our apartment in America and he had a certain way of opening the door. I know that everybody kind of has a certain way of opening the door. And she was sitting on the bed in my room and Charles goes, here's Richie, clearly. And when he walked in, we were all like, wow, she actually said your name. He goes, what, what? And then we're trying to get her to do it again. But in the oddest moments, she'd say it. Or when she was sick one time. There was, was one other occasion when we got some words from Charlotte. Um, she had pneumonia in January of 96. And for three days, she had an extremely high fever. And for those three days, she continuously said, Mama's baby. Um, over and over. So then I knew she called me Mama and I knew she called herself Mama's baby. And that lasted and we were terrified that when the fever would go, so would the speech. And it did. And I called Baltimore and told them what had happened and everybody was really excited other than the fact that it had stopped with the fever. So again, it's similar that she wasn't in control. She wasn't thinking about what she had to say. It was something that was coming out of her. Because with the fever, she was, what, somewhat delirious. So those were the two occasions that we really got words from Charlotte. And other than that, she spits at us to tell us how she feels. Don't you? Yes? What else? Say your piece. 
Want to say prayers? Uh. Want to say prayers? This is a lullaby light show that's playing for Charlotte. Um, the top of it is dome shaped and there's a light on the inside and coloured animals on the dome and they're projected onto the ceiling as it spins around. <coughs> so she loves watching it and it puts her into somewhat of a trance. And if this doesn't work very shortly, I'll be going down for the melatonin. <coughs> I also have Elmo. One of the characters from Sesame Street. And she loves to listen to him talking to her to put her asleep. Charlotte has a great sense of humour. Um, often at lunchtime or Sunday dinner, she'd catch somebody's eye and just take a fit of laughing. And whatever she decides it's funny, it doesn't matter because it's funny to her. And we often end up where the whole table is laughing and none of us know what we're laughing at. <laughs> But um, she cheers everybody up. Yeah, you know, I often she'd be filling these spaces, or she'd be laughing her head off for no reason. She'd be staring at the wall and she'd be laughing her head off, and everybody just starts laughing. Then, and it's like contagious. Oh.